This week's episode is brought to you by the number 12, which is the number of points the Colorado Avalanche gained in the NHL standing since our last show. That's a six-game regulation winning streak you're looking at. Holy cow. Safe to say this top line is the best in the league? Yeah, we are. And scores Nathan McKinnon! Oh, Captain! My Captain! Do you know the way to San Jose? Good morning, good afternoon, or good evening. I'm Steph, and you're locked into Burgundy Radio for December 9th, 2019. Coming up on the show, it could be a monster show. Uh, but first, we're going to start with that six-game win streak I already mentioned, plus big rumblings around the NHL, the sudden rise of Valeria Chushkin. But before we put the whoosh, you need to say hello to the disembodied voices. Hello to Earl. Hello, friends. Hello to Jackie. Greetings. And that's all today. So, kind of a lot has been happening in the NHL since you heard from us last Two more coaches were sacked, another was suspended and under investigation, and Taylor Hall's on the move from the New Jersey Devils. If you somehow haven't heard anything about either of these stories, we're going to dive into that right now. But because you very probably already have, we won't spend long on them. So, Taylor Hall. The New Jersey Devils fired their head coach this week, probably because the Devils suck ass. Only they and Detroit don't have 10 wins yet, which, you know, you hate to see it. Their goaltending has been a mess, but they've also only scored 74 goals. That's third worst. So the obvious thing to do is to commit to the tank. Get your impending UFA best forward out of there. Grab some pieces for the future. Enter the Colorado Avalanche. The Avs have a top line. They have Nazem Kadri, Jonas Donskoy, and Andre Barakovsky. Kadri's put up plenty of points, despite, you know, kind of struggling to find chemistry with his rotating cast of wingers since everyone is hurt. Donskoy and Burakovsky are both producing two, but it's not hard to argue that both are riding the wave of variance right now. You can expect them to cool off. So you look at a potential top line of Hall, McKinnon, Rantanen, backed up by Landeskog, Kadri, Burakovsky, and you just start to drool a little bit. So let's do this fast. The arguments in favor of adding Taylor Hall are obvious. He's a great player. He's nearly a point a game this year, despite being unlucky in the shooting percentage area. 30 teams would improve overnight if they added this guy. He's a winger. Colorado's forward strength is in centers. Are you on board? And if not, tell me the reasons why not. Well, naturally, I lean more to the negative side on this. And I agree with you. It'd be nice to add him. It'd be nice to really strengthen that top six but i just don't think this is so much a opportunity of a lifetime that a lot of people do i think that good players are available a lot more often than it seems and the avs should save their resources to add a potential greater impact even as soon as the next year or two. With the expansion draft coming up, there's going to be a lot of things available that maybe wouldn't normally, and they should be in a position to use those trade chips. And I don't think they have an abundance of them, as people say, like they have an ocean of picks and prospects. They really don't. They maybe have three prospects that move the needle. They don't have extra picks. You know, this would have been a great time if if they had taken that cap dump from the Leafs and Marlowe and got the extra first, but they didn't. 
So they're going to have to carefully manage what they spend moving on into the future. So I don't think this is the right opportunity. I also feel like Hall is likely to be a rental and to test the market. And so that's another reason why I don't think a rental is what they should be going for. They should be going for at least somebody like a cadre who has three years term on his deal. You bring in someone like that, that's going to move the needle more in the future than somebody that you're going to get for a couple months. I'd like to ask you for a little clarification on that. When you say that they have three prospects that move the needle, would that be Bowers, Newhook, and Timmons? Uh, no, Byram, Newhook, and Timmons. And what, we know they're not. What did I say? Trading Byram. Um, you said Bowers. Did I say? I meant Byron. I meant Byron. I yeah. think. Still haven't said it right yet. <laughs> Jesus. Byram, which he is not a trade chip whatsoever, but no, you know, like like a guy like Cowder Bowers, you, you could see them in a deal, but they're not going to be the basis of a deal. Now, my the way I look at this deal is: is it a need? Uh, what is Taylor Hall going to add <clears throat> that the Avs are really lacking right now? Um, you know, he's a fantastic shot generator. He scores all the time. Except for New Jersey. Uh, yeah, I mean, he's shooting 40%. What do you want? <laughs> um, <clears throat> but <laughs> the one problem the Avs really don't have is scoring. They are the top scoring team in the league. And, uh, you know, I, I realize that, you know, Burkowski and Don Skoy you know, maybe been inflated by thrust into roles by injuries and, you know, maybe a little early season magic and things like that. Um, so, you know, it's it's not something you'd be totally confident that they're going to produce like that throughout the whole year. In fact, it's it's not likely. Um, but I just, I wonder more about things, especially with Grubauer's injury last night, whether goaltending is something they, they might need to address. Um, because with Gruber out, they, they basically have Adam Warner and that's it. Um, I like Adam Warner a lot, but I just, I don't think he can be a, a backup for a long-term kind of situation. I think we saw the floor um, and the ceiling in his two games. Right. You know, he was very good at 5v5. The, the Avs power, the, the Avs penalty kill was terrible when he was in that game and, and he got slaughtered there, but. You and know, yeah, it was the just all in all, he, he looked over his head. Um, I think two years from now, that's going to be a lot different, but you know, this is now, and, and that's what we're trying to fix. Um, and also, I, I I think the defense has been playing a lot better lately, and that's something we're, we'll, we'll talk about later on in the show, but um, I, I think a need might be better addressed uh, on the blue line um, rather than adding more scoring. And that's what I struggle with with this deal. I, I think if you add Hall, you can probably outscore most problems except for bad, really bad goaltending. So it's it's really tough to balance that. I, I, I guess in summation, I'm not sure how he's going to fit in and... It just makes me a little worried about mortgaging the future for something maybe you really didn't need to to win the cup or, or to even get further along than you did last year. 
I feel like most so, people want it for the excitement, the attention. Yeah. The It's definitely the big splash and no doubt it would be fun to bring in a guy like that, but and I and I know understand a lot of people are past the save, wait, be patient. Now's the time to do something bolder, but it's like even more at this point you have to be careful because the moves you make will either shorten or lengthen your window. And I'd really like to see them plan for this decade and make sure that it's going to be a good one for maybe up to 10 years. Well, here's and... a question I wanted to ask. Keep going. No, no, go ahead. Here's a question I wanted to ask you guys about this. It's obvious that Nathan McKinnon really wants either this or something like it to go down because, you know, they didn't come through with Panarin over the summer. I, th I think he was not counting on it, but really excited about um, adding a player like that. How much do you all think that, not appeasing Mac, but just sort of showing Mac that you're willing to go out and do that big deal well, um, I think to it, show is part of the thinking. You need to get someone to sign. Like, you can trade for anything. Yeah. But the big thing is going to be, can you get him to stay? Or can you get him on July 1st? Or can you get someone of that caliber on July 1st? I think that's going to say more. I mean, it's great if you're showing everyone you're all in on this year. And then, then what? Then you have, what, set six, seven, eight more years to, to show that you're all in? And you're going to have to come up with something. Yeah, I mean, I I guess with Nate's comments this week that, that saying that on his next contract that he would be willing to take less to stay on the Avalanche if, you know, it, he really wants to win a cup there and if that's the kind of thing that would help uh, round out the team better than taking a, a less salary than maybe he could get on the open market would be something he'd be willing to do. I, I think that shows that you know, he's really counting on being competitive as far as Stanley Cups soon. <laughs> and I just I wonder how much of the player's attitude is figuring into how the front office looks at this situation and, and others that might be out there. Well, I think no doubt that he wants to win. But like I said, they, they have to do what is going to give him the best chance to win a cup. And I don't think this year going for it, especially with the injury plague, it's just one of those years. And I think a better year to say, this is the year we're going for it would be a different year. And I know people don't like to hear that because it's like, you're putting it off, you're putting it off, you're putting it off. But that's not what it is. I just don't believe this is going to be your best opportunity to bring in a player. Like, look at the trade Arizona made for Kessel. He has three years left on his deal. They didn't even have to move a first-round pick. There's opportunities like that that come up all the time. It doesn't necessarily have to be a rental. It can be a guy that's nearing the end of his contract that needs to get moved out. It happens all the time. Like, this isn't the one unicorn that's going to happen, and that's it. Because we hear it year after year. It was Stone, then it was Panarin, now it's Hall. There's going to be someone else next year. Yeah, and I think, if anything, the, the St. Louis Blues shows you don't have to be that good to win the Cup. So, 
We you see know, the no, no slight to them, but it's just heavy slight to them. You don't have to, to stack your top six to to really get there. Um, right, and one thing on long term a... that bothers me about the whole deal, <laughs> this is something like <sighs> if you sign him long term, you're going to be paying a lot of money, perhaps as much as a third of your payroll for three wings, and that that just that doesn't sit that great with me. Um, and I realize, all right, you got Kadri on a great deal. Um, you know, you might be able to replace him with New Hook down the road, but that's going to be quite a ways off. <clears throat> um, it, it just worries me that you, you sort of think of throwing down money for your top two centers and your top two defensemen and maybe your goalie. And, you know, I'm, I'm fine with giving tons of money to Miko. He's definitely worth it. And for Gabe, I, I believe that... You know, he's such a, a backbone part of this team, it's worth paying him a, a fair amount too. But you had a third really expensive wing, and that's just sort of you're 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 sort of paying a lot for your perimeter, and that's you know, it, it's something I'm not sure about. And as we mentioned Nathan McKinnon saying that he would be okay with taking less on his next deal again, we have to put that in context. Because right now, his deal is one of the best value in the National Hockey League, maybe pro sports. And yeah. when, it, when it comes down to it, uh, taking less for Nathan McKinnon might be $10 million. Right, or yeah. 12. Or, or, <laughs> yeah, it depends on where the, where the cap's at when you get there. Right. And I also question the context in which he gave those comments that the other ones he gave in that article definitely sounded like a locker room scrum. So I don't know if McKinnon was ready to give the grand statement that was going to scroll across TSN. So I uh, I can see hit I could see him express that sentiment, but it is also a long time away. What is less and. What exactly does that mean? You, you know, as soon as that starts rolling across national news, his agents texted him, Nathan, shut the fuck up. Yeah. <laughs> what do you think you're doing? Yeah, um, so. But of course, they're going to need some some guys that feel that way. That's how you build a team. If everyone wants top dollar, then you're not going to play with anyone. So that's how it goes. Yeah. What I think is probably the most important part of this conversation um to me it, it it's is sort of a conversation a combination of the of the two points that both of you made kind of combined and and made sort of both present and future looking at the same time because yes taylor hall makes every team better like i said at the, be at the beginning of this segment um and if the abs traded for him i would not complain i, I want to get that out of the way i'm not ag against doing this um, depending on the return, obviously, blah, blah, blah. But what it comes down to is where you're adding is already an area of strength. You can outscore, you can outscore your problems to a certain degree. Um, we've, we've seen that work before. We've seen Pittsburgh go really heavy on their forward talent before. Um, and win playoff games 10 to 9 because that's a thing that happens. Yeah. But... Especially with, with some of the directions the defense have, has gone this season with how hard Ian Cole has fallen off um, and and stuff like that. Like, you kind of wonder 
is the extra, like, like, no move you can make is going to guarantee the Stanley Cup. But if you can improve your chances a little bit, is that worth hurting your chances later? Because, like Jackie said, there's not that much in the cupboard now. You, you need to build up the next wave of players for when you lose people like Nazem Kadri and Jonas Donskoy and Andrei Burakovsky to the next time they're free agents. Or as Eric Johnson Or just the next out. deadline. Or just, yeah, the, just the next five deadlines. <laughs> it's it's a situation where you're at like you're making your strength a little stronger. Is that worth it? Yeah. And that that's that's definitely my concern. I mean, it you know, if McCarr's out for any period of time, we're looking at Cole and Graves in your top four for a while, and that's you know, that's that's not a great feeling. And yeah, um, no, I but, agree with... You know, they seem to be resilient enough to overcome anything so far this year, so I don't know. Maybe it is a good thing. But, <laughs> but yeah, um, if you're you know, stocking I'd... up for a long playoff run, I think I think they are able to withstand the loss of a... F- than the loss of a D or a goalie. Yeah. And, I mean, as the league continues to expand, you're going to lose someone to Seattle. Your your second-round picks are going to get one pick worse every year. Like, th- those things matter, too. I think also people aren't thinking of what an opportunity it's going to be, the expansion draft. the That there's going to be players available that normally wouldn't be available. Now, they might not necessarily be guys that teams are willing to leave unprotected they might be even better players because there's just so many moving parts and deals and opportunity there i just don't think you want to blow half your stash before you even see what presents itself at that time yeah and and joe sackick's comments to pierre lebrun this week were basically he wants to see the team healthy which may never happen yeah (laughs) um before he makes sort of any kind of long-term move, which this would definitely be. <clears throat> so, you know, I realize maybe opportunity is knocking and, and maybe there's some pressure to either deal or not. Um, and and sort of before he's ready to do so. Um, but, I mean, I think the way that the team has played so far this year with all the injuries, you know, see if you can win the Cup with what you got now, and then then you'll really know where you're lacking. Yeah, I think there'd be more pressure if they were not living up to expectations. I mean, then I guess you could say this isn't a cup year, but I think the pressure is there more to, then I think you think more about making McKinnon happy and feeling like you have to do something because they're just not good enough. They're close, but just not good enough. And I think, yeah, like you said, I mean, it's, it has been an incredible year in in a lot of ways. And it's like none of these guys are going anywhere. So I don't feel like there's any rush or any panic that they need to make. Like they're going to have these guys for a long time. So let it sort out and see what you need. Yeah, I mean, Burakovsky's the only one that, that, you know, you're really wondering sort of what they have to do. I guess Nutrishkin is sort of in that, but he's a, he's a, a lower role right now. But those are the two guys that... You know, aren't signed past this year that, that look like they might be key parts of a playoff run. And Frank, I guess. So we've 
very obviously steered away from what sort of the return might be in a deal like this. If, if you're interested in that conversation and have a little bit of time to spare, I would definitely recommend you give a listen to the DNVR roundtable that dropped last week. It is over two hours long, so you, this is something to throw in the background while you put up your holiday decorations or play video games or, or whatever it is that you're up to. But they really get into the details of what each team may want and what each team may be able to um, to include in this deal. And I, it was just a really interesting kind of conversation with, between uh, Rudo, who's not here today, and uh, AJ and Dario and Jesse Montano. So check that out if you're interested in kind of the, the what goes the other way discussion. Obviously, these kind of trades start with a first. New Jersey would love to get Bowen Byram out of the Avalanche, and the Avalanche will hang up the phone if, nope. if they say that. So, <laughs> like, it, anything more detailed than that, we don't have time for that. Because either way, it sounds like the Devils are open to getting this done pretty soon. And obviously, when you're picking up a rental, you want to do it as fast as possible to maximize his value. So hopefully, somebody, whether it's the ads or not, does this deal quickly. And we stop having to talk about it. I also that wonder if the abs are so publicly heavily rumored in this. And I do believe they're interested and I believe they're into it. But I also wonder if the reason it, it is basically the forefront of every conversation about this team and things like they want to do it before Christmas and this and that is to get some other teams, get the urgency upped on their end. Yeah, I mean, Sack occurring to do something like this would be entirely out of character. It sure would. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, yeah, so we'll I, see. I think... Maybe on the next show, we have a Taylor Hall. I, well, there's a really good chance that we'll have seen Taylor Hall play at least one hockey game. That is true. <laughs> it is. So if, there, if y'all are hearing some background noise on my end, I apologize for that. My house is a little bit busier than usual today. Um, I'm trying to, I'll, I'll try to get rid of as much of it as I can, but can't always get rid of everything. Anything left on, on Taylor Hall? Or are we done? I'm done. Yeah, I think we're done. Okay, so the big hockey culture conversation. Okay, to keep this brief and non-contentious, we're going to structure the next segment pretty strictly. Everyone who wants it will have about two minutes to say their piece on the topic, uninterrupted. And then, unless it someday affects the abs directly, we're going to pretty much leave it alone. We have other things to talk about, like... Like trophies, maybe. The following discussion will include descriptions of racism, manipulation, and coaches generally being absolutions to their players. So if you want to opt out of it, or if you're just tired of this conversation in general, you can jump ahead about 10 minutes, but I'll include a timestamp where we get back to the ads and the show description. So Mike Babcock was fired because the Leafs were underperforming pretty dramatically. But the stories came fast and loudly about bullshit he put people through both in Toronto and Detroit, from the infamous Marner list, to berating Johan Franzen on the bench, and we ramp it up several notches as allegations emerge against Bill Peters, from physically punching and kicking players to lobbing racial slurs at the only player of color on his team, all of which have been corroborated by multiple members of the teams involved. Peters is no longer with the Calgary Flames. I think he resigned before they had the chance to fire him after whatever that so-called apology was. The big stink now is who in Carolina knew what when, that's something that the Board of Governors will be talking about when they meet soon. I think that's either this week or next week. And finally, Mark Crawford, now an assistant in Chicago, he's away from the team while more generally abusive allegations are investigated. 
If you've been an Avalanche fan for more than a few years, I doubt Crawford being a piece of shit would come as a surprise to you. No. And that's all we're going to say about that. Uh, Hockey culture is in a state of upheaval. And it may explode or it may fizzle out here. We don't know yet. But I think it's important we all acknowledge what's happening. And with that in mind, I will put on my Adam Schiff hat. And Jackie, you're recognized for two minutes. (laughs) Thank you. Well... Mine's going to be short. This is not a two-minute comment uh, because it is such a sensitive topic, and I think it's hard to have opinions from the sideline as we do as hockey fans. And so, real, so I really don't want to get into it, but I will say that I think it's good that things are coming to light. And I hope more of it continues, but it's probably going to take either a big name player or it affecting a coach or other management personnel that didn't already have one and a half feet out the door for it to really, really take momentum and for this movement to really continue. The end. That's a good point that everybody that has been uh, affected so far were on, you know, uh, everybody who's been affected so far. Bill Peters was already having a lot of rumors going around of how much longer can Calgary really keep him around. So it's definitely uh, a valid angle there. Earl, you are recognized for two minutes. Okay, I'm going to preface this by saying that I don't have any tolerance for physical abuse or racism or any other kinds of discrimination. Um, I, I think it's tough to to penalize guys like Bill Peters and perhaps Mark Crawford and and Babcock as well for things that they did. 10 years ago when it was generally accepted within the league. And I know it was accepted and that's bad, but they were sort of acting within the culture um, and they're kind of taking the fall for it. And that sucks for them. um, And, and that's probably what needed to happen for this to get out in the open and for people to actually start changing it. So, you know, I, I don't have, a whole lot of sympathy for them, but they weren't the only ones, and there, there's probably a huge iceberg underneath the water uh, compared to what we've heard out in the open so far. Um, I do think this is probably going to get some changes accelerated. I, I think coaches like Jared Bednar, who tend to work better with the players, we think. Um, that are young and sort of of this current crop of um, NHL guys. Um, I I think that guys like that are are further away from that culture. Um, They can be disciplinarian without being harsh and discriminatory. And that's... That's probably the way that you need to be to be a coach or, or even any kind of manager in any kind of job these days. So, um, you know, I'll, I'll be glad to see um, this kind of thing stop just because, you know, we, we don't need this kind of discriminatory <clears throat> behavior in the NHL. Um 
it's it's just a bad look for a sport that that's sort of non-inclusive anyway the time of the gentleman has expired i have two points here and the first is basically lifted straight from a book i've been reading this week I, it's, I guess, a sort of memoir by, by Super Bowl champion and pro bowler Michael Bennett. It's called Things That Make White People Uncomfortable. Available from Haymarket Books. Shout out to the Haymarket. For us as fans, sports is entertainment. It's a fantasy. It's a safe outlet for our instincts toward tribalism. And it's an escape. It's not the real world. But for the players, that is the real world. We can look away from stuff like this, but that's their life, man. We forget there's real people behind the goals, behind the hits, behind the stats... They're, they have a way more full-time job than we do, and their boss is always there. Finally, hockey is an extraordinarily white game, and some of that's because it's expensive, and white people are more, are more likely to have more wealth in North America. That's just statistically true. But there's also absolutely a culture of exclusion at work here, and it is goddamn hard to persist in a culture that constantly tells you, either directly or indirectly, that you don't belong there. It's indescribably exhausting, and if you think Bill Peters is an isolated case, you have to find a way to explain why he's comfortable enough to just go up to his player and say, I'm sick of you playing that inward shit, I'm sick of hearing this inwards fucking each other in the ass stuff, and think it's fine and acceptable. And just treating people like fucking human beings aside, if all you care about is hockey being the best it can be, then you want hockey to have the best players it can have. And that means hockey is for everyone has to be more than a slogan. It has to be a culture. And right now, if you listen to black people in hockey, to indigenous, indigenous is the word, and First Nations folks in hockey, to Muslims, to Sikhs, ask yourself why there's never been an out gay or bisexual NHLer, and you'll find out real quickly that hockey isn't for everyone right now. It weeds out what could be awesome players. It's beyond time to change that, or this game will fall apart. And I yield back. If you've opted out of that conversation, welcome back. Let's close the book on it. And as I mentioned at the top, unless it affects the abs directly, this story fucking sucks, man. Let's leave it to Twitter and focus instead on things like the heart, the calder, the cup. Agreed. Since we spoke last, Colorado beat Edmonton 4-1 and outshot them 50-20. to They beat Chicago twice by a combined score of 12-5, to including a temporary Brazil. Toronto 3-1, Montreal 3-2 on a back-to-back, Boston 4-1 allowing eight shots in the first two periods? Holy shit. Because it's this year's Avs, they also saw injuries too. Nazem Kadri and Philip Rubauer and Andre Burakovsky and Kale McCarr and also Matt Calvert missed time due to a family obligation, whatever that means. All the best to the Calverts. Simple question, how are they doing this? That is a really good question. <laughs> um... People stepping up, I guess, is probably the easiest answer. They've there have been nights in this these two weeks where I think McKinnon wasn't at his best, but that's okay. And someone else stepped up. And I think it has been a different group of players every night. And that that is really good. That that means you have a team and that means you can overcome a lot of different things. Yeah, I think the defensive play and this isn't just the defenseman it's all five guys playing in the defensive zone has stepped up a lot uh, i think we saw it big time against edmonton and that was sort of the coming out party for nikita zadorov in his new role as the shutdown guy um, he and kale mccarr shut down mcdavid and company pretty thoroughly um, and then we saw sam and Z shut down two-thirds of 
Boston's top line last night. Um, they've been playing a lot different, and you really saw it a lot last night because the forwards were very active in the defensive zone, limiting the opponent's time with the puck, and they were really pushing them uh, to get rid of the puck quicker or force turnovers or, you know, just do what you're supposed to do in the defensive zone. And that's not something that we've seen a lot of over the, the rest of the season, really. So um, it seemed like Jared Bednar got to a point where he kind of had enough of the sloppy play in the defensive zone. And either it was something in their structure wasn't working and he decided to change it or it was just they weren't explaining it well enough and now they got everyone on the the same page but i it, wonder if it, it was also the challenge of playing good teams they did not want to get embarrassed against edmonton again they wanted yeah. to beat the leafs you know they they knew that chicago has the offense to burn them they obviously wanted to make a statement against boston so they had a pretty good run here of at least good offensive teams. Maybe the real challenge is going to be those dog games coming up at home against not good teams to see if they can remain that defensive full team focus commitment to playing that way. I mean, their toughest game of the week was obviously against Montreal. Um, Not that Montreal was the best team and they obviously weren't, but just the easiest one to fall asleep against. With, well, with it's that it's, one. <laughs> it, Montreal plays a little bit more grindy, sort of like the grindier teams that the Az have had problems with all year. Um, and they they got back into that game, and and they probably came the closest out of you know any team over the past six games of winning. So, you know that shows that you know it, it, they got better at what they were already good at. Now it's time to see if they got better against you know the blues the the stars the wild the the coyotes those kind of teams well, yeah that's another soon, good but not not any of the others for a minute yeah and like i said i'd like to see them keep focused against bad teams cuz that could really be the kryptonite and not just for the abs but for any on the cusp team is you just you have to take care of business, and you have to do it every night, regardless of who it is. And it's so much easier said than done. Yeah, it's important to keep in mind in the NHL that a, a bad team is relative. Anybody can still destroy you on any given night. Um, yeah. Whether it's I mean, Detroit has won games this season, even though they're in thirty first and on pace to challenge the Avs forty eight point season. So, a team like Montreal, like that was by all measures a schedule loss like that's a traveling back-to-back into a team who's at home waiting on you and yeah apart from their goaltending situation which may have played a role in the abs getting up three nothing and may not have because colorado came out looking really good yeah and honestly you can attribute the abs getting back into the game the guys looking pretty tired in the third period they sure Which did. they should. Yeah. <laughs> and that's okay. And and this is yeah. where we talk about our good friend Paul Frank. <laughs> Paulo Francois was fantastic in the third period of that game. Yeah. And I said I I I liked the way that they handled 
the back-to-back with putting Gruby against sort of the more um, quality-oriented Leafs, even though, you know, the Leafs generate a lot of shots, but they they are more quality focused, whereas Montreal is is a pretty much a volume team. I still and... find it interesting they play they started Franco's against the Leafs just because you could call that quote unquote more of an important game, and maybe it made sense to give Grubauer the rest. And like you said, maybe style came into it as well. But I just think for me, that's still an interesting decision. And, but obviously Frank did very well and yeah, it's, 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 it's a topic for probably a a show off another month or so, but is, is Grubauer that much better than Francis? I, I think that is, yeah, I agree with you. I don't think that's exactly a bridge that we could cross right now, but yeah. It is a question that looms because I don't know if the apps want to pay Grubauer the going rate for an NHL starter right now. And if they could lock up Frank to relatively cheap and get a few more years out of him, is that a better use of resources? Especially if they're going to go out and drop some really big coin on somebody. These are things that are going to be even more important. Yeah, I mean, I think we've all seen that paying a lot of money for goaltenders probably isn't a great idea. Um, uh, the money's they can not get... the problem there. The, the problem with it's goaltender the contracts, yeah, contracts is the term. Yeah, because goaltenders yeah. are voodoo. And Grubauer is but... going to have every right to ask for a huge contract, right? We hope so. It dep- depends. <laughs> if if so... Frank's the one holding the cup at the end of this year, then maybe not. <laughs> <laughs> I think this is definitely an interesting conversation to have. I don't know if I am ready to have it today because we don't know. Yeah. No, yeah, I, I, we don't I, know. I, I think it's it's at least a month off in the distance. But I, I do think it was interesting out of the six wins we've had over the past two weeks that each guy has three, <clears throat> even yeah. though even though one of Frank's came in a, a relief role. And I would add um, that I do think right now that Grubauer is a little bit better. And if you want to see... Um, evidence for that in the numbers, look at the penalty kill. Yeah. Okay. So in these six games, Nathan McKinnon has four goals and eight assists. Which is good. That's a lot. Miko Rantanen and Gabe Landeskog have both returned to the lineup, thank God. But he was doing <laughs> yes. it before that. Like, Miko yeah. came back and had a four-point night, because that's just what Miko does. So, uh, but how about that heart trophy? <laughs> I, I just I don't know how you can look at anyone else. Um, he, he, there's always the argument that McDavid's the best player and the most productive. And if it's the best player award, okay, you know it's his trophy. But I, I don't think you can make a case for anyone being any anywhere near as valuable to their team as McKinnon has been over the the first part of the season. And I think this was even his comment, or if it wasn't him, it was from a player, that the top guys are duos. It's Dreisaitl yeah. and McDavid, it's uh, Pasternak and Marchand, because Bergeron's been hurt, and then there's McKinnon, like, smack dab in, in between them, and it's like... And Ovechkin and Carlson, you know? <laughs> yeah, and, and if Miko had been healthy, maybe 
maybe he's up there with McKinnon, but that was not the case. And McKinnon won first star of the month. Or what? No, what? I can't remember. He's won so many of them, I can't remember exactly. I think it was second <laughs> star of the month yeah. for November without Miko. So that that's that's definitely impressive. But I don't if we're asking if we're making predictions, it's going to be hard to break that McDavid hype. But it is quite funny that the argument used against him was that his teammates are too good and then that's not going to be relevant when they gave when they give the heart to one of the Oilers. He spent a week between Jonas Donskoy and Matt Calvert. <laughs> He's had Matt Nieto on his wing. And, yes. and no shade to any of those guys who are great in their roles. Like, unironically great in their roles. Yeah. But nah, in their he, roles... No matter who has been on his line, he has picked them up, put them on his shoulders, and just carried them the whole way so and, and that's new this season that's always been kind of the knock is well mckinnon exploded at the same time the rant and it exploded so is it which where's the chicken where's the egg here yeah i i think we're seeing this season that mckinnon drives the boat and Rantanen i think they help each other boat. i'm not saying it yeah. doesn't but we can clearly say mckinnon is a driver of the boat yeah he doesn't you know, he, he can produce whatever situation you put him in. He's just that dominant. Yes. Also dominant has been Nikita Zadorov, who in the last two weeks has pretty much erased um, Connor McDavid and David Posternock and basically anybody else that he was tasked with. There was a little bit of a struggle in Toronto, but I think that um, maybe the line matching got the better of the abs in that game. Um, which speaking of the Toronto game, that, that game was awesome. Um, yeah. that was one, maybe the most fun game we've seen in a long time in the regular season. Um, but uh, yeah, I mean, what's going on? And, and then it was Kane and Debrinkat too. Back yeah, to I was going to say, and, he, and it, you know, I think part of it is because EJ, we haven't even mentioned yet, ha- hasn't played these whole two weeks. And he's, we've seen this before from Zadorov, where he can elevate his game when it's needed. And I think that's part of the frustration with him is that we know he can do better and sometimes he doesn't. But boy, is it nice when you need more from him, he can give more. And I think he's basically taken on that EJ role and one could argue maybe even do better than EJ in that role, or at least this year. And I think Zadorov has been doing it. Like when they played against the flames and he just completely terrorized Goudreau. So it wasn't just kind of like this newfound focus, but it's certainly become more. And I wish that it seemed like the abs valued him more. I guess we'll find out this summer because they're going to have to make yet another contract decision on him. But boy, is it nice to have, you can lose a top four defenseman and you have somebody that can step right up. Yeah, I mean, I think that, that Bednar and Pratt's problems with Zadorov all stem from his lack of focus. Um, you know, he can look like he, he did against, you know, the Bruins and, and the Leafs and the, and the Oilers. And then he can go out and have a, th- a three stupid penalty game and lots of turnovers and just not following through on, on <clears throat> what he can be. 
Um, they want to see that more consistently. I think Bednar's made that fairly clear. And it, it really seems like the details are there. The focus is there. A lot of people are pointing to the bubble as being a factor in that. And, it, you know, if breaking his jaw is what it took to get him to play this way consistently, then, you know, that might be the best injury of the year. Never take off and that it... mask. <laughs> <laughs> if it forces him to focus, then never take off that mask. And I'm yeah. not going to say that he isn't frustrating sometimes, but I also think he's just easier to key in on if he's not doing well or if he's making mistakes. Like, it's just much more visible with him than maybe some of the other defensemen. I, I think he's easier to criticize, is I guess what I'm trying to say, because, you know, big guy, he makes mistakes. Take, so, he does sometimes take penalties too much. That's a whole nother conversation. But I think he's always been good, and it's a little bit of underappreciation. But I do also agree he has elevated his game lately. So, yeah, I, I don't disagree at all that it's easy to, to pick on his mistakes. Um, I don't even think that's unique on this decor is the thing. Like, we're seeing that right now with Eric Johnson. Yeah. The EJ thing is tough because, yeah, I agree. He's out there so much. But it's not like he's bad all the time. He does a lot of good things. But I think, is he declining is a fair question. Because totally. I think his effect overall effectiveness has gone down. And it's gone down for a while. And he has yet another, quote-unquote, lower body slash leg injury and his his mobility is a big part of what makes ej effective and if and when he starts to lose that that's going to become an issue and i also think part of the issue with ej is it's so easy to overplay him that i think when he comes back from this injury which could even be this week or who knows they're really they're gonna have to get real about not overplaying him because i think that runs them into trouble too yeah giving him top pairing <clears throat> deployment next to sam gerard really exposes him yeah and, and it and it brings sam down too because it it's just like like it's more like sam needs help sam, sam's great sam needs help he can't do it on his own and over these six games sam hasn't been on the ice for one goal against that's pretty good yeah i mean he he and Zadorov, other than the Edmonton game, have been together the whole time and just shutting fools down. Um, I, I, going back to EJ for a second, I think that his problem has always been decision-making. Um, a lot of his mistakes, sort of the turnovers or covering air or not being in the correct position, you know, it's just, it's it's detail stuff. And again, this is stuff that, that Pratt and Bednar really harp on, and, and that's that's his weak point, along with Zadorov before her. Um, I think, it's I think even his lack of, I think his lack of mobility wouldn't be such an issue if he played a little bit smarter. And that's something that, that maybe he's going to have to reinvent himself at past age 30 and really become a student of the game and, and really work on the reads and being where you need to be and you know, and simplifying, not yeah, not not relying on his skating to get him out of trouble. 
And I, I'm not in the buy EJ out camp. I think he can be useful through the end of his contract. But yeah, they, they're going to need to have some discussion and getting real about what he can and can't do moving forward. Yeah, because I mean, you see someone like Ryan Graves. I mean, Ryan Graves wishes he could skate like even Zadorov. And <clears throat> if EJ could play sort of the way Graves does as far as being disciplined most of the time, um, you know, and, and learning the system uh, from the standpoint of someone who doesn't have the mobility to get out of trouble um, just by skating or being able to make up for errors with, you know, just physical ability. But um, I think it needs to come with from Bednar too, because it's so easy to overplay EJ. Like it's easy yeah. for him to in certain games to suddenly find too many Ian Cole minutes. It's just even easier for him to find too many EJ minutes. I think even Bednar knows it sometimes, but you just look at the sheet. And I look at the time on ice after every single game, and it's just like, it's it's too much. And I think this break that he's had, and to see the effectiveness of the defense using Zadorov more, should really give them a clue. I mean, Z played EJ minutes last night. He played 27 minutes. Which is probably um, too many, but... Yeah, it's too many for anybody. <laughs> but well, against... I mean, maybe, like maybe that, it is, maybe it isn't, but it seems like they need their shutdown guy to be able to play at least 25 sometimes. Yeah, sometimes so, it's fine. That, that's, like, that's an important You know, where, where Sam is at 20 minutes even strength, I think that's a good target. And guys like EJ and Zadorov and Graves will get more from the penalty kill. But, you know, 20, 20 even strength minutes is about as much as you really want to play somebody. Pretty yeah, much. if you want something left at the end of the season, yeah. <laughs> or at the end of the game. And some, yeah. and sometimes it's another one of those kind of chicken-egg things when it comes to deployment time. Like, in this game against Boston, Zadorov had a lot of minutes because he got deployed for a lot of minutes. But sometimes these guys have the, the minutes rack up because they'll be on the ice for a two-minute shift here and there. Yeah, obviously the, the Bruins are going to play Pasternak and, and Marchand a lot, so that necessitates yeah, and Sam, Sam and Zadorov okay. being out there yeah. all the time. Yeah. And and that's kind of where I was going with saying that you just sometimes you have to play your shutdown guy lots. So our major topic for this segment is not Nikita Zadorov, even though he's been a massive part of how the the defense has been defending. Question mark. Um, Our major topic for this segment is the nuke. Valeri Dechuskin (laughs) has three goals in the last two weeks. He went ninety games with none, and now he has four on the year. He's been a key piece of the Belmar line, which has consistently beaten their opposition convincingly. Is it too early to say we were all wrong about this signing? I I don't think it's wrong to say we were wrong because we expected nothing. Like I think I think me and probably many others kind of thought this would be a longer term version of the Dano experiment. So he's certainly been better. So yeah, I think we're we all we were all wrong because we've just pretty much thought this was going to be a pointless. There's a lot of people that thought he'd be in the AHL, that he'd never make the team, that they'd be done. I also heard a lot of he'll be in Russia by Christmas, by Thanksgiving. So we were certainly 
wrong to that extent. What exactly is Nuke? That's still up for debate. Yeah, I think it's a little early to say what he really is, just because, I mean, it really was like a a light switch flicking on. I mean, suddenly he can score again. Um, And right, what does that mean? Does that mean he's like a 20-point guy, a 40-point guy? Does that mean when he gets into another cold stretch, it's going to be really easy for him to lose confidence and just go back into the black hole? But I I think the confidence is big, but I, I, I... if you look back, learning the system probably took uh, until that switch flipped. It um, was like he was held out of a few games early in the season, and Jared yeah. Bednar commented that it was because he wanted him to work on his defensive details. And everyone and I, is I healthy. Think <laughs> that, yeah, but Funny. you know, w- without having the scoring to fall back on, you know, his de- his defense wasn't good enough to keep him in the lineup. So he worked on you, that. He got confidence from playing good defense and getting on the PK and, and starting to shore that up a little bit. Um, and now that confidence is translated a little more into his offensive game. It was um, almost like... It's still a little out. dicey, I think. You know, he's really good on breakaways, obviously. And that's, you know, that, that's kind of how he's scoring now. Yeah, and the um, fact that he would even score on even, let's say, 10% of them would be about one goal a week. <laughs> right. <laughs> you know, but he's not scoring in sort of static offensive situations. He's still, you know, he's still a mucker on the boards and he can help out a, a line like like that. Um, and that's sort of the next step you, you need to see. I don't know. It's, his goal yesterday was, wasn't exactly off the rush. I mean, that was, it was a handsy goal, but it, that was finding a rebound chance. Yeah. It, yeah. It, the good thing with that is seeing the hands start to work because we, he really looked like hands of stone. Like it, it looked more, it didn't look just like no confidence or no puck luck. Like it looked legitimately <laughs> like, it looked like no skill. The, yeah. No puck skill. And it's like, what happened? He had to have had some, like I know the whole, he was drafted cause he was big and this and that, but I mean, there had to have been skill at some point. And so if he can unlock that, that's huge. And it's been nice. Like you said, to see a handsy goal, like, like yesterday. And I, I think his, his first, yeah, his first goal was not a breakaway. It was more, he picked up a rebound and shot it. So it's good to see him score in different ways, but that's fine. If his bread and butter is the breakaway, that that's more than fine with me because he can get them. And if he could just even convert on some of them, that's going to be a big deal. But it's like after he set out those couple games, and he, it it's such a cliche, like, oh, sitting out will give, give you perspective in this and that. But it almost seems like it did help him. And I think in general with the Avs having the no pressure and that they found a role for him. I think he fits really well on that Belmare line. I think he's better than the Nieto there because you you don't have just kind of like three grinders even though he plays that grindy game but obviously his his skill set and his talent if you will is different than what a Calvert brings to the table but they all work all three work together well 
Yeah, I think having Calvert and Nieto on the same line is bad just because they're basically the same guy. They're both really fast. They can finish a play sometimes. Um, Nieto has much better hands but, than Calvert. Right. It's funny. I think Calvert's been the better player than Nieto this year, but maybe that's a different topic. I, but... I think it's a difference of role. Yeah. Yeah. Like what, what Calvert's expected to do can help any line. You don't want it on any line, but it can help any line. Nieto doesn't quite have the finishing level or the finishing talent to be on a higher level of a role. Let's get these words in the right order here. <laughs> I, I, I feel like I haven't said what I'm trying to say, but I still feel like the meaning has come across. <laughs> yeah, I just I, I think that Nachushkin is a good complement to either Nieto or Calvert, depending on who's a on the other wing uh, just because yeah he's got it he's got the speed but he's much bigger he's, he's probably as big as both those guys combined um, <laughs> he's huge so, yeah <laughs> i remember so watching his warm-up <laughs> game i went to and it's just like this guy's just massive he really is the biggest guy <laughs> yeah um yeah i mean it's it, it, it's something that that neither Nieto nor Calvert can bring as far as sort of the size and the reach is something that we've sort of seen lately be really good because he's very tough on pucks and it's almost, I mean, he doesn't play like Miko obviously, but just sort of in that style that he is able to keep pucks away from opponents um, just because his stick is seven feet long and, and, you know, he can keep it away from basically anybody. Um, and, And that, that's created a bunch of possession, and that's that's pretty key. Yeah, the the puck not dying on a stick anymore is huge. Yeah. Yeah, and I think that was the biggest question, because I think we did notice that he was doing a lot of good things, just if the offense never comes, then it never comes, but he was at least... He was never a negative, but the fact that he can score does make it a lot different, and he is a type of player they don't have a lot of. They don't have a lot of big guys in the, especially in the role player end of the roster. So Nuke's future is probably another thing for another day because we definitely need to see this over a longer sample of time. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. But but he probably will be an easy guy to keep. He'll be an RFA. They could just sign him for another year just to make sure. He can still provide what he's providing, but, um, but yeah, th- at this point, it's certainly a win for the fact that they didn't give up much. Were they ever going to play a prospect? Probably not anyway. And we don't miss Wilson. That's probably the biggest win of all. Oh yeah, Colin Wilson's yeah, out for probably the rest of the season because he had a, a <laughs> surgery on his whatever on his whatever injury. <laughs> So, so that happened. And also, Nuke's probably very grateful to the Avalanche for giving him this opportunity. And not just that, just obviously you got the opportunity in Dallas, and it didn't work out. What For whatever reasons, he didn't gel with the system or the coaching staff or whatever. But, you know, when this sort of last chance came up, and it was looking bad even until a few weeks ago, but now... You know, he's starting to get it. He's starting to look like an NHL player. Uh, that's got to make him feel so good that they've given him that confidence. That that you know he he's he's going to be willing to stick around and and play 
in that role and, and not sort of say like, well, I'm, you know, the 10th overall pick and I, I should probably be moving up to the, the second line soon. <clears throat> so, you know, I, I think he sort of found a happy place with the Avs and that, that might work out pretty well long term. And there was a pretty good article from Clark at The Athletic on the relationship between Nuke and Kamenev and Zadorov, which I know he had Russians at Dallas. So it's not like that was a, a new revelation, but I think that also helps him feel comfortable that he's made some connections with them. Yeah, that's cool. Hope so. Um, I, I agree with Earl's point. I agree with Earl's premise. There's a small bit in the details that I want to fight you on. Uh, the the Nuke has looked like an NHLer for more than a couple of weeks. Like that line has been effective going, just rolling downhill, rolling downhill, rolling downhill. And he's not been a small part of that. Um, Valachushkin, it's, we've had that, that this almost reached meme status with how snake bit he was, um, where altitude had to bring it up five times a game. And we're all just saying (laughs) he's not going to score because he can't do it, but he was in (laughs) positions to, to make plays that just didn't happen. That he's it's not an accident that his line is looking at 60% possession more often than not right now. Like those guys yeah. are really good together and he's not just a passenger on that. He's breaking up plays in the neutral zone. He's playing well defensively. He's entering the zone with possession. Now he's dinging it out on the boards. Like he has played a strong role on that line before the goal started. Yeah. And I love the way that line cycles, um, and that's not that's not something that all the lines do, um, but that line does. They're able to to pull it off well, yeah. and that, it it was sort of reminiscent <laughs> of the way we may talk about who uh, doesn't when we get to stars and scratches. <laughs> <laughs> and it just sort of reminds me of the way Carl used to play with Nieto and Calvert last year, um, but it just it it seems like these guys are quicker. Um, and just able to create a little bit more um, than that line did last year. And I, I mean, obviously, part of that is usage and and that they're not going up against you know the the top line all the time. So shout out to Valnichushkin, who's doing everything in his power to prove a whole bunch of people wrong. Um, and I, I hope and good for that him. It is shoulder. fun. Yeah, it's... it is. Honestly, it is fun. It's. It's fun seeing a big guy get a breakaway like that and some score. So this, I like Russian power forwards too. So go nuke. <laughs> so this was kind of a road trip over the last week that really could have gone either way. It the Avs could have gone three and zero, or they could have gone zero and three. Just looking at it on paper, like Toronto's still struggling a little bit, but they're they've had a very talented team. Montreal that was a schedule loss. Boston are the Eastern Conference Cup finalist favorite right now. I don't know if anyone would disagree with that. Um, you can make an argument for Washington, but I still think it's Boston. I agree. Um, and then they just went in and beat everybody. I think we said last show that we, we would know a lot more about this team after what happens in the next couple of weeks. We saw a lot of games that they could easily drop. Um, and some of them... Was there was a lot of help from goaltending to for sure, but they just got stronger and got stronger and got stronger. Well, the thing I like is you're playing in, in this set of games. You're playing four teams that you'd played before, um, and one of those is 
the back half of Chicago, which counts. So, <laughs> if you say so. <laughs> so you're, you're you're looking at going, you know, all right, you're you're at home against Edmonton. You'd hope that would be a little bit more of an advantage. But the way they got schooled up in Edmonton, you know, was that going to be enough? You know, they played much better and were much more effective in that game. Chicago's just a bad matchup for the, or the Avs are a bad matchup for Chicago. Um, you know, it, it was nice to see Toronto, <clears throat> in Toronto, that we were able to get them on the road. And we never lose in Boston, so, you know, maybe there's there's still a little bit of that voodoo hanging out, but... What was it, like 12-2-2 in, in the history of the Colorado Avalanche in, in Boston? It's crazy. They haven't lost in regulation in Boston in 20 years. And they've that, sucked for that... a lot of those 20 years. And Boston <laughs> yeah. hasn't. Like, exactly. Yeah, so, I mean, there's some voodoo there, but still, I mean, you've beaten the, what, what is probably the best team in the league if it, you know, if it isn't the Avs or Washington um, twice. And they've beaten Washington once already. So, you know, they're 3-0 and against the top teams in the league. That's that's a really good feeling. Well, and Arizona's yeah, leading the Pacific now, and they did not beat Arizona. <laughs> but Arizona <laughs> would be like third in the Central. They're a tough team so. for them to play against, yeah. But, no, I agree. I think this wasn't going to be a big test. It was going to... But then again, all right, Boston's other losses are to, like, Ottawa and Detroit, right? <laughs> I mean... <laughs> <laughs> That's what I said so. about you. You gotta beat the dogs too. So Boston's <laughs> lost some trap games. Good to know. <laughs> but you know, yeah, beating a team back to back is hard. Um, beating Edmonton can be difficult for this team, and I think that is a really tough road trip. The three games in four nights against some really good teams, and the it's impressive. It it definitely is. So. I agree that this week kind of, I don't want to say meant a lot, but it certainly, you know, upped the perception of what this team can accomplish in my book. Made a statement. Yeah, that's probably a good way to put it. So, um, I also want to acknowledge that when the Avs went to Toronto, they absolutely did right by Nazem Kadri. That, that video was fantastic. Yeah, it was. I don't know if, if y'all got to see it or not. Um, TSN broadcast it. Like, usually you'll have to go catch it on the internet if you weren't in the arena, but TSN broadcast it, and it was great. You mean the Leafs video? Yeah. Yeah, yeah okay. Yeah, no, that was nice to see him, his, I guess you could say, homecoming, and um, nice to see that relationship between Toronto and Kadri and the appreciation. And... Um, and then he died after that. He didn't play anymore. <laughs> so, <laughs> we, we all thought that, you know, back to back, and he's probably has been dealing with things. It wasn't a big deal. He didn't play against Montreal, but he didn't play in Boston. Probably kind of made you feel like that injury was a little bit more than what we initially thought. But considering they waived Tynan today, now that doesn't mean they're reassigning him right away, but at least indicates <laughs> we've seen this team wave guys twice him. in a row yeah because they just kept but but um, well, we know Cal I, I i think we're pretty sure calvert will be back yeah. tomorrow 
Um, just he, he he left for personal reasons um, before the Boston game, and we don't know exactly what, but ho- hopefully everything's okay. So I think <clears throat> officially, which is interesting because they play tomorrow, Monday, whenever you're listening to this, um, and they did not call anybody up. Nope. So, um, you know that's that might be a good sign for their various injuries. Now we know that this team likes to just roll with what they have. Yeah, I mean the Eagles and the have... Abs are both at home all week, so they can get yeah. someone up there pretty quick. And whoever it is isn't going to play. So, <laughs> uh, well, I mean it's like they, you know, you have Rosen as your sixth defenseman now if Makar's out, so that's all set. And with Calvert back, you have twelve forward so you really only need someone to hang out and eat nachos yeah well it's 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 not great yeah i would like to for me i would like to see if mccart and we'll we'll find out so it's at least somewhat encouraging they didn't call anyone and like we said it you know they can get someone fairly quick this week but they do have a game tomorrow so if they were going to need someone they kind of do need to call someone but i don't like the idea if they're just gonna play rosen and barbario i think if you truly believe in timmons as a top four option long term you need to replace mccarr with him and give him that opportunity and not just do what you always do and just throw in as many plugs as you can i think you need to use it as an opportunity to give a piece of your future an opportunity. And if they don't, I think that's really disappointing. Get ready plus, to be disappointed. And plus, they need to showcase Timmons for the Hall trade, right? Yeah. <laughs> so look for Timmons to uh, it, on Friday. But well, Whoever's I, been scouting the Eagles has gotten an eyeful of Timmons and his five assists in four games this week. That's a high number. That is. Yeah, he's certainly earned it. He's, he's had a good, you know, he's played 20 games in the AHL. That doesn't mean he's a fully formed NHLer, but I think he's he's taken a step and he's ready to take that next step in the NHL at least for now. Yeah, but, I mean, he's in, he's engaged enough in the play down there. He seems comfortable. He's he's able to play in a lot of situations and he's started to generate points after you know what was a slow start for just about everyone. So um, you know, he's progressing nicely. Um, I, I can see them waiting until January to maybe make that call up, but you know, if it's now, that's great too. I think they'll also just rush EJ, but the fact of the matter Probably. is they haven't practiced in a while. I assume EJ didn't go on the trip. I mean, why would he? But then again, EJ's kind of has stat status with the team that it's like, if he's like, I want to come, then he'll come. But, um, you know, he hasn't even practiced, so it'd be tough for me to see him play tomorrow. So, right. So it's a really he good could play this to get week. Connor Timmons in the lineup. Hello. Yeah. Yeah, like this isn't the, oh, please play Count and Bowers and whoever else. I mean, this is your, the guy that you actually care about that's in the AHL. You, you can't play by the same rules with him or else he will be like everybody else. Of course, what they'll probably do is just play Rosen and Barbaria. <laughs> Which is yep. <laughs> and then drag well, EJ. In all fairness, Barb's has actually played pretty decently. He's, he's so. been okay. He's been he's he been has. okay, Barb's. 
but everyone's been decent. Like they won six in a right. row. You're yeah. not gonna. Everything's awesome. Uh, <laughs> You're not going to individually complain, even though Cole definitely had some. Cole's been better the last two. I think yeah. probably the last two are the better, just in general team games. Like you, there's not a whole lot to complain about with anybody over the last couple of games, but Cole definitely still has had his adventures. Yeah, the, the, it's really hard to find anything to whine about in that game against Boston. You you just held the Boston Bruins to eight shots in two periods, like <laughs> seriously. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, I fully agree there. And yeah, they poured it on at the end. That's what happens. That's a hockey well, that that is something I did want to mention because they had massive turtles in all three road games. Um, I I think and, the Montreal and, and Benar mentioned it, and I you know I know he's not happy about it, and it's just it's it's something that it's easy to fall into that. But it, it it looked like last night they weren't even trying to get the puck out of the zone real hard. I mean, well, they, they you know who they punt, didn't punt punt yuck. You know they who they didn't have in the third period. That game was McCarr. Now would he have made a huge difference in the turtle? I I think some. But yeah, it, I mean, there's better chance than not. But still, it, it's it's a team turtle. And it happened it three games in like, a row, and he was there for Montreal and Toronto as well. well so the Montreal one, I, there was a lot of fatigue in that one. I, I think yeah. that's yeah, it wasn't the Toronto one. I don't think was as bad either. I mean, but it, it's certainly it wasn't. last last night was the was like a, a Wa era turtle. It it was like a chip yeah. it out of the zone is like come on you someone has to try to possess this puck no you, you were looking for patrick nemeth on the ice last night <laughs> yeah the, the guy in section 352 had quit yelling shoot and started yelling skate yeah it was just like and then mosher's like oh yeah they you know someone's got to try to get clear the puck it's like no dude someone needs to possess the puck yeah it was like all right got it there's only nine and a half minutes left ah! <laughs> Too but, early for this. Like, if if you're gonna nitpick anything on the defense this week, that's it. So mm -hmm. and it didn't affect the outcome. So good on them. Yeah. Well, let, let's get into the nitpicking. Let's do stars and scratches. Um, we we talked at length about McKinnon, Zadorov, and Nachushkin. Do we have other scratches? Other scratches? Hell, other stars to add to that list. I think Frank. Yeah. Frank was a pretty big champ, especially this week beating Toronto, coming in for Grubauer, and beating Boston. That's pretty good, on, and both on the road. In relief for a Grubauer, a Grubauer who we don't really know at all what the nature of his injury might be, and in the game, most of us were like, I don't know, he might just have the poops. Because he kept yeah. going down the tunnel and coming back, and down the tunnel and coming back, and he looked, yeah. like, looked like he I... had the flu. I'm, yeah, I'm, I'm prepared for anything as far as what happens there. Um, it's interesting they didn't call up a goalie. Or the goalie. We, it's the really goalie. not a goalie. The goalie. <laughs> with, with I, don't game think they, I don't think the Eagles flew back until today anyway, so I don't, you know, I don't think it makes a difference. Yeah, we, sh we should mention that that intrigue exists. You want to explain why there's the goalie? because <laughs> well, the goalie they traded Nick Malosh for was injured in Sharks training camp and had hip surgery recently and is out for the season so they basically so, yes. traded Nick Malosh for an NHL game and a half kind of and two awful losses in the AHL 
Yes, he uh, basically, and I won't get into the whole timeline, but basically it, we had the show off when this was all going on, so it didn't get to quite explain it, but the fact that he wasn't even healthy enough to back up for the Eagles the day before the Avs called him up, and then when he back to the Eagles, he lasted one period. So I think it's fair to conclude the Avs played an injured goalie. And um, that's pretty that crazy. When you, when you hit that too. And he won. It's pretty crazy. And he and won. He give up, and he did give up four goals and had like an 880 save percentage doing so. But yes, he won. He didn't give up 20 goals. <laughs> yeah. That is true. He did better than he does in the AHL. And, um, you know, when you get into whole, the whole merit, best chance to win, you know, it's so important. Every game is so important at the NHL level. And they completely just did goalie roulette. And now they are left again with three goalies on NHL contract, including Grubauer, who at the very least has some lingering issues. Yeah, good luck. <laughs> so Frank is the star of the week. Yes. <laughs> I, I wanted to make sure that that story got told because it's crazy. Yeah. It is. And they did it to themselves. That's the other thing. They have a goalie, another goalie in the HL that does, I know Earl doesn't like Miska that much, but statistically he has done well and he's not in an Jeez. HL contract. He's just not fundamentally sound at all. He's just, he's like, he he looks sort of like Hashik's really bad little brother. Reto Berra. He just flops around everywhere. But it works. Just, yeah. But it's like, you want a guy that's square to the shooter and not giving up rebounds, that's not him. When I hear of a goalie who's not fundamental, but it works, I think of Reto Berra, like, way outside of his crease. Yeah. <laughs> Now, th he Miska's more like flopping around everywhere. He d he does two pad stacks and stuff like that. I mean, it's like <laughs> you're just like, oh my god, is this 1988 or what? So, so maybe it's not good <clears throat> fundamentals, but it is fun. Yeah, and he wins, you know, a fair amount of the time. So that's and nice when they too. used Bebo, he had won three straight games and had just had a shutout. But they decided <laughs> using an injured goalie would be better than just giving an NHL contract to a guy that probably is your best goalie outside the NHL. Sorry. And uh, we're back at this again, where <laughs> you're going to have to sign somebody. You, you can't have three goalies on an NHL contract. You just can't. And then I will add an additional star for Matt Calvert, who I think his return to the to the to the lineup really showed how much the Avs missed him when he was gone. Um, he's just he, he plays a really important role on this team, and plays it really well. Um, he definitely makes Belmar a lot better. He definitely helps drive that Belmar line just like Nuke does, and. Even when he had to spotlight on the first line next to Nathan McKinnon, he knew that his job was to go be a first liner. His job was to give Mac the best chance possible to do something out there. Yeah. And that, that was another one of those signings that everyone was kind of like, oh, Mac Calvert, ugh, when, 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 it, when it happened. But he's he's been an important player. He is a good he's role player. I think still the caution is you don't want too many of them. Nope. 
But I think, like I said earlier, I think he's been better than Nieto. Which is probably good since Nieto's contract ends before Calvert's. <laughs> yeah, we should probably expect to say goodbye to Matt Nieto this season. They should. He's done a lot for the Avs in his role, but it's going to be time. I bet he stays. We'll see. You just, you just can't. <laughs> that, that's a conversation for another show. The conversation for this show is who do you scratch? It's hard when you've won six games in a row. That's very true. So asshole answers are acceptable. But uh, I still Training staff. You. Well, yeah. <laughs> the, the injury bug, the training staff. Uh, but I still say Ian, Ian Cole did have some rough moments. It's probably a cop-out answer, but there's not a ton of bad this week. Yeah, but I think I mean, he I, legitimately I, I, was a problem in a couple of those games. Yeah. He was much better for the last, say, two games. Yeah. yeah the Montreal game and the Boston game, he was fine. But uh, before that, it was you know, sort of the same old, same old. The Avs have been rolling three of their lines. There is a fourth one that has been much less successful than the others. And that tends to be whatever line JT Comfer is on. I'm really st- <laughs> it seems to me that Comfer is struggling right now. Um for... It's just too much. He's not a second second line center. Like I understand not having Kadri is kind of a it's, an issue. It sucks, but <laughs> but it it's not confident. I know what then then what's your option? Then you're back to is it Jost? It probably isn't Jost either. But Comfort cannot play that much. And and so on, like on the one hand, it's kind of let's say scratch Comfort, but on the other hand, it's kind of let's say scratch the perception of JT Comfort. That everyone thinks he's who Jonas Donskoy is, and he's just not. Yeah, I... Comfort has great individual moments, but so the the time surrounding those moments is pretty unforgettable, or forgettable. Sorry. So it... he, he's just he's tough to watch defensively, and again, <laughs> yeah. he's another guy that along with Cole. Seem to have gotten over some of his defensive problems against Boston and, and to a lesser extent Montreal. Uh, but it's just he was playing over his head, so it, it was exposed a little bit more. Um, you know, he's a he's a much more offensive than defensive player, and, and that's not really the usage he gets. And it, I I don't understand it just because the the numbers are pretty explicit on it. Um, but. You know, yeah, hopefully Kadri is back and, you know, <clears throat> we can go back to having the garbage third line with nobody doing much on it. <laughs> and also, well, which is really like the fourth line. Yeah, I'd scratch the fourth line, too. I think it's been pretty... So the, <sighs> pretty the, much... The Kamenev-Jost-Tynan line? Yeah. Yeah, I think it's... It is, and I know, it's their fault that they're kind of put together as a we have to dress 12 guys and you guys are the last ones, but and I, Kamenev actually had some good moments. He he missed two games because he was sick. I'm not really sure if that's why he missed the second one, but we'll go with that. It's just there's no role more, is my problem. Yeah, you know you want more from Kamenev. I think he can give more to an extent. I don't think he's like a set and forget third liner, but I think if they wanted to work him into that 
he could do more. I, I don't, I haven't liked Jost. And he always does have a few good moments, too. I know he, he did some good work on a couple of those goals, but he, he, he's been on the fourth line since he came back from his short injury, and it's just it's just such a waste. And I think it's, it's been time for Tynan to go back to the AHL and do his job there. So I just, yeah, I just, uh, I haven't loved that line. Let's just put it that way. And, and yes, it's not all their fault. But yeah, it's, it I mean, it's a, it's a chronic thing because, you know, Belmere's line is really the fourth line, even though they get third line minutes. And so there isn't a job for the other fourth line. And, you know, I, I mean, I like Kamenev and Jost individually. I, I don't think Tynan's been He's awful not terrible, as a no. whole. But, it you know, I, I forget who it was last night, but said that he's he's about a, a foot close to being in the right place to do a lot of good things, but he never makes it. Yeah, that, that's often the difference between an AHL guy and an NHL guy. Sometimes you just can't find that time and space in the NHL. Yeah. And no, and I don't think plus he's awful. he's only three feet tall, so his stick is <laughs> too far away to actually capture the puck from somebody. Right. But it's still very much an AHL scores game. That's why it works in the AHL. Yeah, this will be the last thing we say on this, because we, we're, we're kind of lingering on a, a player that's yeah. been waived and probably won't be on the team more than another game or two. Um, but Tynan has a really good... Um, pattern of being really close to everything that happens on the ice but not yeah. actually doing any of it yeah was that you that said that last night yes yeah okay <laughs> i'm sorry i stole your <laughs> i thought it was mars for some reason <laughs> mars said some like mars of course being evan rowell um of dnvr he, he said something similar to that, where you can see that, like, it, it looks like he's always working really hard because he's always, like, right behind where the play is. <laughs> yeah. And so mine's just, like, a, just another step further than that. Like, it's I didn't come up with that originally, so uh, that that's not a, a theft at all. That's respecting the OG. That's the hipster opinion. <laughs> yeah. And so that that's why he's more effective in the AHL because the NHL is just a little bit of a quicker game, and if he's just a little bit behind, that means the AHL may be where he can score some goals, which is what he's here to do. Yes. Yeah. Coming up next week, and I say next week because we will be back in your ear holes next week. Um, the way the schedule works out, it's just better for us to go two weeks in a row right now, and then we'll be every other week until the All Star game. After which we will be back to weekly. So see you then. Coming up next week, Colorado have a three-game homestand, and then they take the next weekend off. Starting Monday against the Flames at 7 o'clock Mountain, then Wednesday against the Flyers. 7.30 Mountain is the list time, but that's an NBC sports game, so it'll probably be closer to 7.50. Friday, we'll see whether the Devils bring Taylor Hall to town or not. Another 7 o'clock Mountain start. The toughest matchup of the two weeks is the following Monday in St. Louis, so you'd really like to see some wins this week. How many do you think we're going to get? I think Two. tomorrow's game against Calgary is is going to be an abomination. Um, I hope not, because I'm going to that one. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's just, I mean, the six-game win streak, uh, first home game after a road trip. Um, we don't know the status of Gruby or McCarr, so that that's, you know, that could either contribute or 
take away from it. Um, but <clears throat> I just I, I think that's the kind of game where they're just they're just not going to have it. And I I don't I don't like making predictions like that, but this one just feels like I, I don't I don't think they'll get blown out or anything, but I just I don't think they'll win. They've been um, good against the Flames, but yeah, but you're right. At, at some point, that has to turn. Yeah, once in a while, the Flames have to win, right? I mean, <laughs> <laughs> maybe. I think uh, these yeah. homes. I think these long home stands in December have been historically where they've gotten into trouble. I don't know yeah. if it's if it's the extended time at home or what or what it is, but it does seem like every year that's where they drop some games they shouldn't. So I hope that's not what going to happen this week and I'll be optimistic and say it's not um you know the Philly game I don't know what to think about that one because Philly's been playing a lot better lately they're actually a it, good team now so and I haven't seen the Flyers yet so I'm they used to be really fun to watch and now they're not quite as fun to watch but they're better so <laughs> um you know, I don't think it'll be like last year's Flyers games, which are, you know, they're they're pretty fun games to watch. Um, so that that should be interesting just to see from a a style standpoint how that works out. And then and, the and then Friday is going to be the Taylor Hall extravaganza. Yeah, like that, that's just going to be a disaster no matter that. what. Yeah. New Jersey's the number thirty team in the league. You have to win that game. Yes. Yeah. At, yeah. I, especially at home, and yeah, it, it's just. There's going to be so much Taylor Hall stuff. You know they're going to ask him about it. It's just going to be, yeah, it's going to be uh, different there. So and yeah, yeah, you have you have to win that game. You have to, and uh, it might be the toughest game for them to win this week. So I will say six points or not six, four points, two wins. I think they can do it. I think this they've turned a corner as a good team, but. Yeah, if they don't have Makar, I think Makar has definitely given them another step. And I, I think if they don't have him, they might really notice it. Especially if their idea is just to roll Barb and Rosen and just deal with it. <laughs> so, we'll see. I think Calgary Monday could be a trap game. Um, yeah. Because the Avalanche have dismantled them so thoroughly like as an organization. And they just came home from a four games in six games, four games in six days road trip against very, very good teams, um, including the Boston Bruins. And so then you come home and you've got, you know, maybe the schedule's not quite so, not quite so tough. You're not quite so focused. All of a sudden you're down two nothing in the first period. Oh boy. Yeah. So I could, I could see that happening. So that's why rather than six points, I'm going to predict five this week. I think if I, I think this team can, um, you know, gather their shit in time to not absolutely lose in regulation to the Flames, so that would be an overtimer, and they they've been winning in overtime lately, so time to lose one. Other I think than they that, get two points. Other than that, I think they can they can take on Philadelphia, and and again, New Jersey it really should just be go take care of business game. And that seems to be the attitude this team has now is. We're not going to ride the highs. We're not going to get low, low, low. We're going to take care of business and, and get it done. I, I have faith in them to beat New Jersey. And in the past, I would have been like, oh, they're going to play down to their competition. Not this year. So that's all I have I think to say gonna next be week. A, a, I think it's going to be a disappointing week. Two points. It's possible. It's time. 
in some ways. Well, whether and it also de depends who's injured. It does depend yeah. on who's injured. So <laughs> not only that, it depends on who gets injured in in Calgary exactly. or against Calgary in, yeah. in Philadelphia. Well, whoever's left in the Avalanche roster at the end of the week, <laughs> whether it's the players they have now or maybe some players that they don't have now, you know, you can find out here. We will be back in New Year's next week. Like I said, that'll be whatever day that is, December 16 or something. You can find the show on SoundCloud, on Spotify, on Apple Podcasts, on Google Play, at Burgundy Radio. Follow at Burgundy Radio on Twitter. I've been actually pretty good about keeping my game tweets there instead of my main, which is, I think, a good idea. So we will see you all next week. You have a good year. See you then. Try not to kiss the bug and get injured. Okay, did, if you want to kind didn't of Didn't you stay... call 12 points last week? I don't remember. <laughs> I was going to say... I think I if, if you... I said 8 because I, I said it again. I, <laughs> I, was, I, have... I, I, I was trying to remember if you said 10 or 12, like just said 12 and Jess, and I was saying if you did, maybe you should clip that and put it in. But <laughs> That would be funny. <laughs> I, I settled on it. Um... I said it's something really else, but I, I definitely sarcastically said 12 points at some point. <laughs> I don't remember which show it was, but I definitely did. I don't think it was last week, last time. It might have been, though. Who knows?